It gives me immense pleasure to introduce us our today's speaker, Mr. Nilesh Sharma. He is an insolvency professional. He is a first partner in Triple R Legal Advisors LLP, Advocates and Solitaires firm. Also in an IPE, Triple R Insolvency Service Experts LLP. And uh, in his academic qualifications, he is a BCom Honors graduate from Delhi University. Chartered Accountant, Associate Member of Institute since January 1992 and uh, Fellow Member since January 1997. Graduate in Law and uh, he is a Legal Practitioner in the field of Commercial Laws for around 30 years and has major experience in the field of Recovery, Insolvency, Bankruptcy, Restructuring and Reconstruction. He has represented large number of clients including lenders, creditors, acquirers of business, buyers of assets in the distress space before various courts and tribunals, including BIFR, NCLT, etc. Just to start with uh, the structure, what I thought is, uh, uh, Nileshi, let us uh, understand uh, the basic concepts of the insolvency uh, professional, individual insolvency. Then we'll move on to the, uh, you know, having an understanding on the guarantee contract. Thereafter, we'll talk about the subrogation, law of limitation, and uh, what are the jurisdictions, in which scenario the jurisdictions applies, something about uh, the procedures under the individual insolvency, and certain things about the, uh, you know, excluded assets and the excluded debts. So these are the prima facie, uh, the points which we think we can cover. Uh, subject to the time availability, then probably if time is available with the Q&A round, we can move on to the bankruptcy part also. But today, the focus should be on majorly on the insolvency part. Sure. So, Nilesh, sure. to start with, uh, uh, you know, I would just request you that if you can uh, give us a little broad uh, framework and the necessity of having the enforcement of this individual insolvency under the Insolvency and Bankruptcy Code, the little bit on the concept of the guarantee as per the Indian Contract Act, the provisions of uh, sections 5, uh, subsection 22 of Insolvency Bankruptcy Code, vis-a-vis uh, Rule 3 of uh, DRT. Why I say so? Because it's very important for all of us being insolvency professional to know the uh, fundamentals first. And, you know, once your fundamental is strong enough, you can you know that how to, how to work around thereafter. So over to yes. you, sir. Okay, thank you very much. I'm having a small presentation. So goals of the process uh, of individual insolvency. So one is, uh, we start with this huh? goal. So these are the goals as per the Insolvency Law Committee report. So they say that why we need insolvency resolution, individual insolvency resolution process. So these are the goals. But I think before that, let's understand what is the meaning of insolvency and what is the meaning of bankruptcy. We have seen that in corporate insolvency resolution process, we are having two processes. One is CIRP, which is corporate insolvency resolution process. And then we have liquidation process. So once insolvency resolution process fails, then we go to the next step, which is liquidation. And in individual insolvency, the first part of the process is called insolvency resolution, similar to the corporate. And then subsequent part is called bankruptcy process. Okay, so here it is not liquidation process, it is bankruptcy process. We don't liquidate the individuals. We apply this bankruptcy process in order to take over their assets and then distribute the proceeds to the creditors. Okay, now what is the difference 
why the word insolvency and then why this word of bankruptcy and uh, then liquidation so insolvency as we all know uh, that insolvency is a situation or is a condition a debtor is not able to pay its dues as and when they arise okay so this is the definition this is a situation where somebody is not finding himself in a position to pay the dues which has been incurred by it by him or it if it is a company so then uh, that situation uh, when you are not able to pay your dues and it can be because of two reasons one can be that your assets are less than your liability and another situation can be where you are you are having assets you are having fixed assets or immovable assets but you are not having the liquidity to repay the uh, the dues which are arising in the ordinary course so what you do is whether both these conditions will be treated as the situation of insolvency so you have to tell me whether when suppose a situation where a an individual is having assets worth rupees 100 crore and its his liabilities are only 10 crore but that asset is in the form of a building 100 crore uh, worth of building which is not in a position to immediately sell so whether you will be calling him insolvent any uh, reply any idea he will be treated as insolvent if he is not able to meet his obligation on time if he is not able to meet suppose if i have to pay my car installment on 31st march if i am not able to pay on 31st march on before uh, next day somebody can file a insolvency petition against me and if i am not able to pay it will be it may get admitted also subsequently i may pay through repayment plan but uh, at that date it will be may get admitted every likelihood of it being admitted if i am not able to pay as on that day as per the plain reading of the books any contrary view or all of us agree to this definition or uh, this uh, whatever praveen ji has said yes yes we, all of us we agree to this opinion which uh, praveen ji has given Basically, so insolvency is nothing but uh, where uh, the individual would have a financial crunch uh, the liquidity issue and unable to pay the debt correct so now the definition which has been adopted in our ibc insolvency and bankruptcy code is based on cash flow where the liquidity crunch is there and a creditor is not able to pay a debtor is not able to pay his uh, creditors okay so this is the definition which has been adopted earlier you are aware that before ibc we were having sick industrial companies act sick industrial companies act the definition of insolvency was based on net worth so there net the definition was that if the net worth of the company of an industrial company that law was applicable to industrial companies only so if the net worth of the industrial company is negative or in other words if its losses are accumulated losses are more than its net worth then they were calling it as a sick industrial company okay and which was required to go through this process of rehabilitation in other words we can say where liabilities are more than the assets then we call that as uh, we used to call that as company as a sick industrial company so our, our earlier definition was based on uh, net worth or our based on the balance sheet of a particular uh, individual or particular company but now we have a definition of insolvency is based on cash flow so both the definitions have been there different schools they adopt different definitions and one school is that uh, this is this has to be based on net worth or when asset liabilities are more than the assets and another view is that it should be based on cash flow now 
most of the economies or most of the countries they have adopted the definition which is based on cash flow so even if your assets are more than your liabilities but if you are not able to pay your dues which are much lesser than the total value of your assets then you will be treated as insolvent and you will have to go through your insolvency process okay and then now what is the outcome if suppose there is an individual or a company who is in a situation where he is not in a position to pay his dues then what should be done according to me uh, in this type of a situation if a debtor is not able to pay its dues then in that uh, situation the creditors are entitled to take control over his assets and then get the assets sold and the sale proceeds should be distributed amongst the creditor as per their respective right and if something is still left then that has to be handed over to the debtor so it is not that all the assets have to be distributed or sale proceeds have to be distributed amongst the creditors no so creditors they are entitled to recover their dues to the extent of their outstanding and then balance amount has to be returned back to the debtor okay so this this should be the outcome however what we have done is or most of the uh, countries what they have done is that they say that one chance should be given one restructuring exercise should be uh, made so that an attempt is made to revive the business or to save the business okay and in case of individuals to see that if they can settle their dues outside the bankruptcy process so for in respect of companies we are having corporate insolvency resolution process so which is an attempt before distributing before taking over the assets and distributing of the sale proceeds among the creditors this is an exercise to attempt that if there can be any resolution okay so that is why we call it insolvency resolution process okay so insolvency resolution process we attempt that if we can reach some understanding as to distribution of as to settlement of the dues of the creditors and if this process fails then the next step is in case of companies that is liquidation and in case of individuals if the first process first part of the process which is insolvency resolution if that fails next step is same taking over of the assets of the debtor and distribution of the sale proceeds among the creditor so with respect to individual we call this process as bankruptcy process so this is the process of bankruptcy and which is similar to liquidation process only difference is that in liquidation we get the name of the company removed from the register of companies however in case of individuals we give them discharge certificate or discharge order we allow them to restart their life and they get a discharge from all their past dues so we have liquidation process in respect of individuals we have bankruptcy process and both the processes are similar except one particular difference which i have already told you for this insolvency resolution process initially you know that in respect of corporates also we allowed the existing promoters to participate in this process by giving a resolution plan which is allowed in most of the uh, regimes uh, in different countries though in other countries also we are having laws uh, which bar the undesirable persons from participating in re- resolution process in our country we are having section 29a and which section says that if you have in undischarged bankrupt or insolvent and a number of other things are there and similarly we have that if your account is npa for more than one year that type of disqualifications are there in the section 29a so after insertion of section 29a to some extent we have closed the insolvency resolution process for existing promoters but 
if the existing promoters they they are not disqualified by section 29a then they can also give their resolution plan and then this insolvency resolution process they can also participate so but worldwide this process is normally between the debtor and the creditors and when debtor fails like in usa also so first chance of giving a resolution plan is given to the existing debtor and if he fails to revive then public is invited for the purpose of submission of uh, resolution plans however here from the very beginning we invite not only the existing promoter if he is eligible we invite the resolution plans from public the highest bidder or the one who gets the highest vote he is handed over the particular company okay so these two coming back now the insolvency resolution liquidation and then bank insolvency resolution in case of individuals and bankruptcy so these are the processes and uh, now we come back to the pools so both these individual and corporate uh, other differences are there which we will be discussing uh, later but uh, mainly these are the processes now goals of the process for individual insolvency one providing a fair and orderly process for dealing with the financial affairs of insolvent so these are the goals which have to be while drafting the provisions or while making the provisions so these were the goals which were sought to be achieved by these particular provisions of individual insolvency so one more most important object is that the defaulting debtor he should be granted a fair and orderly process for dealing with his financial affairs so it should not happen that if somebody has defaulted then you will sell his assets for any amount and then creditors because now 100 crore assets worth of assets and that is only 60 crore so it should not happen that you sell the assets for 60 crore and that poor fellow he does not get anything so he should be provided it is his right that a fair and orderly process should be provided to him so that his assets his financial affairs are dealt with in a proper manner so this is one of the main objects and for that reason only you will see that insolvency resolution process the he is provided an opportunity of negotiating with the creditors he formulates a plan and then he discusses with the creditors insolvency resolution process for individuals we don't invite outsider at the first place okay so there still we are negotiating with the we are giving an opportunity to the existing uh, debtor to negotiate okay so in that manner we try to provide him a fair and orderly process and not only this even bankruptcy process also we give him we we have tried that a proper process is there a transparent process is there and his assets are dealt with in a proper manner then providing effective relief or release from the financial liabilities and obligations of the insolvent so this is also very very important objective and uh, this objective is that uh, a debtor if he fails his in his business venture then what should be done if suppose he has incurred liabilities worth rupees for example 100 crore and his assets are only 10 crore or 15 crore then what should be done with him whether he should be punished with imprisonment or what should be done with him so that is the question uh, so most of the uh, you know that earlier long back i think uh, insolvency laws have been there or insolvency different insolvency practices have been there for many hundred of years okay so uh, initially they used to punish him and uh, then over a period of time now the 
uh, insolvency processes or bankruptcy processes they see they are based on the principle that a business failure is not a crime if an individual or entrepreneur he starts a business and that business fails then in that case he is entitled to a discharge and so that discharge from those debts which have been incurred by him which he is not in a position to pay fully and then after that so what should be done in that case is that all his assets which are there except some assets which have to be left with him so that he, he should not be uh, put on the uh, road he still has the right to live his life that some assets have to be left with him and then we have to give him a discharge so that he can start his life afresh so you will see that bankruptcy process uh, so first insolvency resolution then bankruptcy process so bankruptcy process results in an order by the court and that order says that you are discharged from all your past debts and after that none of the creditor can claim any debt from that individual so a discharge order is the final outcome and then simultaneously once assets have been taken over by the bankruptcy trustee so then he will be disposing of he will be selling those assets and the sale proceeds are distributed amongst the creditors as per their rights which are defined under our ibc law okay so this is providing effective relief or release from the financial liabilities it is very important object of this process and that is the reason that finally discharge order is passed in respect of individuals then providing mechanisms that enable both debtor and creditor to participate with the least possible delay there should not be any time which should be lost within while you are running this process because you know that with passage of time the assets get depleted the value deterioration is there okay so that is the reason that uh, time period this process insolvency resolution process whether for corporate or whether for individual the process should be completed at the earliest and both the debtor and creditors they should participate and participation of debtor is required to to fulfill our first goal which is providing him a fair and orderly process so that is the reason that we have we want him the debtor also so that if any residual value is there that can be given to him and then he can he can remain there in this process he participates in this process providing the correct incentive incentive so that individuals are not able to unfairly strategize during the process of bankruptcy so this is that uh, debtor should know that uh, what will be the ultimate outcome and that should be the incentive for him to participate in this process if he knows that he will not ultimately he will not be re released of all these liabilities so then he will he will manipulate okay so that manipulation or strategy unfair strategy should not be should be discouraged so this is the goal of the process of individual insolvency ingredients etc i think we can skip consequences of in, inefficient rescue regime in india notification applicability i think you are aware that uh, provisions relating to personal guarantors to corporate debtor only have been notified so insolvency resolution processes and bankruptcy processes relating to personal guarantors to cd only have been notified other provisions relating to partnership firms and proprietorship firms and other individuals have not been notified yet okay so then you are aware of all these that uh, notification uh, the rules and regulations have also been notified and uh, you are also aware that minimum amount of default uh, for triggering of this process is 1000 rupees 
which can be increased up to 1 lakh of rupees you are aware of the same jurisdiction is very important so who will be having the jurisdiction in uh, individual insolvency cases so if there is any insolvency resolution process crp process or liquidation process uh, in respect of whose dues the guarantee has been given by the guarantor so if that process is going on in some nclt then the individual guarantors matter will also be filed with the nclt who is having jurisdiction over the case of uh, principal debtor so that means what that if suppose with respect to a corporate the insolvency resolution has not been initiated or after having been initiated the insolvency resolution process has been completed and then liquidation is also complete so in these two situations the matter will be filed insolvency resolution process of individual will be initiated uh, with by filing an application with drt who is having the the jurisdiction over that case in the cases where the insolvency resolution process of the principal debtor or liquidation process is pending before nclt then the jurisdiction will be of that nclt only the question here is uh, in case of jurisdiction is um, what in case if the application is filed but it has not uh, numbered or even if it is numbered but it is not heard it has not come on the board for hearing that's number one the second is uh, what will be the jurisdiction where the cirb process is already commenced that means the uh, admission uh, order is passed and the cirb process is commenced however the cirb process is stayed by maybe nclt or uh, supreme court whatever so in these two scenarios uh, what jurisdiction would apply so actually in first situation where it is not yet admitted so now question is whether it will be treated as a pendency of the matter so according to me i am of the view that if it is not admitted then the matter should go to drt in my knowledge there are two judgments which have been passed by different different benches pending uh, admission is not barring the jurisdiction of nclt so actually you know that different uh, benches of nclt they will be having different views and ultimately if some final if uh, nclt or honorable supreme court they decide finally this issue will be settled but i think my personal view is that uh, if you have filed an application so you don't know whether ultimately this application will be admitted or not uh, so filing of application i don't think will be deciding the jurisdiction okay admission only will be deciding the jurisdiction not not filing of application okay so so i think we are having different views if suppose the particular case is falling within the jurisdiction of honorable mumbai bench of nclt then in that case we have to see what has been the view of honorable uh, mumbai nclt so particular nclt unless we are having a having an order from a higher court so we have to go by the orders which are passed by different benches of nclt so that is uh, one then second situation was that if nclt process has initiated the nclt process is going on or it is admitted and then finally it is stayed by honorable nclt or by honorable supreme court so you know that uh, when an order is stayed uh, so then in that case it is not of any legal effect the order which has been stayed is not having any legal effect unless that stay is vacated okay so question is that if suppose the order nclt order is passed for admission and then supreme court has stayed that order so can we get the moratorium can we say that the company is under moratorium 
answer will be no because that mm-hmm. order granting moratorium has been stated by the higher court so similarly if after admission the order of admission has been stated one is process has been stated after admission because of some technical reason so we have to see which order has been stated if suppose admission order has been stated then in that case i think this will be similar to a situation where application is filed but it is not admitted so till the time an application which is admitted is pending before a bench of nclt i think we will not treat it as a case where the application should go to nclt uh, what we are saying is that when there is a stay maybe by nclt or a supreme court the process will continues hence the jurisdiction will not uh, change the the time when the stay is uh, finally i mean the admission order is dismissed by uh, the nclt or supreme court and the cib process is quashed then in that case the jurisdiction from the adjudicating or from the nclt it will be transferred to drt am i right correct acha now another thing is that uh, if suppose the admission is there and after admission the process is going on and there is some issue relating to the resolution applicant or the process which has been filed for inviting resolution plans okay if at that point of time the process is stayed then there is a pendency before ncr okay so we have to see if the order admitting the application of insolvency if that is stayed then that will be having the effect as if there is no application but if any subsequent stage there is a stay by a higher court then pendency is already there then question is not whether that application is maintainable or not there is some other issue for which the stay has been granted and when that particular issue is resolved by the higher court then the process will continue so in that case if at any subsequent stage stay order is there then in that case jurisdiction of individual guarantors case will be with the same ncr then if already with respect to an individual uh, suppose there is no pendency of uh, cirp process before with respect to the principal debtor before honorable before any bench of nclt and then drt accepts that application uh, of individual insolvency and subsequently the process is initiated before nclt then in that case the application will be transferred to ncr then framework of ibc obligate ibc adjudicating authority so we are aware that uh, one corporate and non corporate uh, entities are there so in corporate we have two processes insolvency resolution and liquidation and we, where we have jurisdiction with national company law tribunal who is the adjudicating authority and appeal against order of nclt go to uh, nclt and then appeal against the orders of nclt go to supreme court and in case of non corporates so we have individuals and then we have partnership firms okay so partnership firms and individuals individuals we have personal guarantors to corporate debtors then we have proprietary businesses and individuals without any business so individuals we are having these three classes so presently provisions relating to the only one class have been notified and with respect to personal guarantors to corporate debtor insolvency resolution process or bankruptcy process the jurisdiction is with nclt when already there is a pendency in respect of corporate debtor and rest of the matters the jurisdiction is with debt recovery tribunal and then appeal against the, the order of drt goes to drat and then 
against the order against any order passed by drat we go to supreme court so this is the uh, adjudicating authorities and appellate authorities under law differences between cirp and individual insolvency process okay so these are the differences one creditor classification so in case of cirp uh, corporate insolvency resolution process we have financial creditors and we have operational creditors but this classification is not there in case of individual insolvency individual insolvency we have all creditors only and there is no financial or operational creditor classification similarly in case of uh, liquidation also normally there is no difference except that at one place i think uh, where at some places rather uh, the uh, and specially section 53 53 we have unsecured financial creditors okay so separate treatment has been given to them and rest of the section 53 mainly talks about secured and unsecured creditors okay so in section 53 so first of all we have insolvency resolution process cost crp cost and then we have secured creditors we are not having secured financial creditors so even if suppose some secured operational creditor is there so he will be having the priority secured creditor along with workers for the last 24 months then we have employees dues for the last 12 months then we have unsecured financial creditor okay so this classification is mainly for the purpose of cirp corporate insolvency resolution process then interim moratorium so interim moratorium is not there in case of cirp moratorium starts only when there is an admission of insolvency resolution process by an order of the court and individual insolvency the day you file your application for initiation of insolvency resolution then the interim moratorium is available okay so after that no suit no can be filed or if already there is some suit which is going on or any other legal proceeding that will be treated as stayed okay so available interim moratorium is there in case of individual insolvency when individual insolvency is admitted with effect from that day we have normal moratorium provisions otherwise till that time till the time uh, normal moratorium starts we are having interim moratorium and if it is admitted then for a period of 180 days the moratorium will apply in case of individual insolvency we are not having that extension also we are not having the provisions for extension specific provision for extension as we have in the case of uh, cirp so cirp uh, we can increase extend the process by 90 days however individual insolvency 180 days is the period so we are saying here that interim moratorium in case of individual insolvency uh, starts from the day when uh, the rp is filing an application along with the repayment plan actually you know that when this uh, individual insolvency process starts under section 94 when a debtor debtor files an application so from the day he files this application this moratorium starts interim moratorium starts okay and when and you know that under section 100 admission is made of his application and then regular moratorium starts and then after that payment plan is formulated by the rp the debtor in consultation with rp so that is a subsequent stage process entry moratorium starts from the very first filing of application for initiation 
role of rp starts from the admission of from the admission of application in case of carp so you know that in case of carp the order for appointment of rp is passed on on the date when admission is made so nclt passes an order they say that now we are admitting this application and then they mostly simultaneously and in some cases even after some after few days from admission so they pass that order and uh, for admission and then rp's rule start which is interim resolution professionals rule starts from that day but in case of individual insolvency so you know that there is a provision under section 94 and 95 that you can file that application through a resolution professional okay so your rule starts even before that so he helps the debtor in filing of that application and through him this application can be filed then possession of assets so under cirp you know that from the date of admission of cirp the possession goes into the hands of resolution professional okay so on admission the debtor he loses the possession but in the case of individuals when bankruptcy process is admitted from that day only the possession is goes into the hands of the bankruptcy trustee during the period of individual insolvency there is no possession of assets in the hands of uh, resolution professional correct 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 so insolvency resolution process of individual individual continues with the possession of the assets and if he is having some business he will continue to run that business huh? but different in case of corporate insolvency resolution process next is consequence of rejection of plan so consequence of rejection of plan is that the company has to be compulsorily liquidated so rp is having that responsibility or duty to file an application for initiation of liquidation okay however in the case of individuals the bankruptcy process is not a compulsory uh, consequence okay so the court gives option to them the creditors or and the debtor to file an application before bankruptcy so that is not automatic that is not like uh, as is there in the case of companies so these are the major differences in these two processes and uh, i think let's see what are the provisions of insolvency resolution in what scenario practically when if the repayment plan fails what are the chances that the creditors will go and file the application for uh, bankruptcy now creditor has to see what are the assets which are available okay and uh, then uh, uh, based on the same he has to take a call whether he wants to wants to pursue these proceedings if suppose that as a debtor is not left with any assets okay so then in that case he may, he may not he may not like to spend further money because i think the money and then time also because if he knows that there is no asset available or a value of the asset is very minimal or negligible and in that case i think they should not i think that that is the only reason otherwise if a creditor he uh, is aware of the fact that debtor is having certain assets and uh, he can by initiating this process of bankruptcy he can make some recovery then definitely i think he will be going for bankruptcy process of the debtor that in many cases that uh, the debt which are uh, individual guarantors mostly those are mortgaged with the lenders okay and after those assets are disposed of very minimal amount of very small amount of assets are available 
okay or in many of the cases we have seen that uh, they they transfer these assets they know or guarantors they know that yes ultimately these proceedings will be initiated so they they transfer these assets uh, to others they sell those assets uh, so like that the debtor there also we are having similar provisions relating to in individual insolvency also we are having the provisions relating to avoidance transactions so if they feel that the assets have been transferred by the debtor so then they can things initiate or they should initiate the process they should try to get those assets returned or recovered and then which can be utilized for repayment of the dues so it is all the more good for even uh, debtor to sue on the file for a bankruptcy application he can file it so many of the people i think a number of applications have now been filed by individuals uh, individual guarantors and reason for the same is that uh, presently they are facing a large number of litigations a number of applications a number of uh, cases are going on against them drts different drts and a number of other uh, recovery uh, actions they face so what they do is that uh, they are they in order to get discharge order from the court they are filing applications in many cases they file that themselves also under section 94 and in many cases they get the applications filed from uh, some creditor friendly creditor okay so objective here is that they can start their life afresh and then they get rid of all the litigations which are pending against them but uh, uh, at the same time uh, what i have seen is that uh, different benches of honorable nclt mostly they are not uh, accepting these applications or they see them as with with the, some doubt that uh, with the intention of getting some benefit they are coming here but actually that benefit is provided by law and even i have seen that uh, in many cases creditors have initiated uh, various lenders have initiated processes against the insolvency resolution process against the uh, guarantors but when guarantor files that then they oppose they say that this has been done with a fraudulent intention and you know that uh, in case of uh, corporate section 10 applications if they don't file the application when the company is under uh, a situation of insolvency uh, so then it is obligatory on them uh, it, they must file it otherwise what are they doing they are doing a which, what we called fraudulent trading if a company is incurring losses and is not able to pay the dues of its creditor then in that case if it continues with its uh, business then it is incurring further liabilities it is taking material from on credit from the uh, suppliers then uh, workers they are workers and employees they are providing them services and uh, the promoters or the management of that company they know that they will not be able to pay to the workers or to suppliers but still they are continuing with their business so that is fraudulent and consequences are there under section 66 and in this type of a situation the debt which you contract those can be uh, you will be liable for making payment of them personally okay so director can be held liable if you are continuing the business of a company in this type of a situation okay so but when we file application when section 10 applications are filed so then we don't accept them we say that you are you are filing it for getting some benefit if if a debtor a corporate debtor is filing an application under section 10 i don't know what benefit he is getting 
if he is offering he is saying that take my assets and then the this process because it is not that he is continuing with the, the possession over the asset which he he will be taking benefit of so it the, the situation is different as it used to be in sikh industrial companies act in sikh industrial companies act the promoters they were having the possession over the assets they were running the businesses and whatever money they were pocketing and lenders they were not able to recover their interest fast even so they were not allowed lenders creditors suppliers they were not allowed to recover their dues there was a moratorium so that was the situation where the uh, promoters they were interested in prolonging the proceedings they were getting that benefit of section 221 but here that benefit is not there because the day this application this uh, process is initiated this application is admitted you have to lose the possession over the asset okay so i think uh, if any debtor is initiating this type of action i think that should be accepted by the court so now so definition of guarantor under section uh, 126 of indian contract act so the definition is a contract of guarantee is a contract to perform the promise or discharge the liability of a third person in case of his default the person who gives the guarantee is called the surety the person in respect of whose default the guarantee is given is given is called the principal debtor and the person to whom the guarantee is given is called the creditor a guarantee may be either oral or written so this is the definition which is given under section 126 so three parties are there one a guarantor then creditor and then we have debtor so these are the three parties there can be a single contract or there can be two separate contracts one for providing finance and then another can be for the purpose of providing the guarantee there have to be three parties liability of the guarantor it arises only when there is a default by the principal debtor okay so this is must if there is no default by the principal debtor then liability of guarantor will not arise liability of the guarantor is co extensive with that of the principal debtor what is the meaning of this the meaning is that uh, in case of a default then both of them are equally liable the guarantor is also liable principal debtor is also liable and creditor can initiate recovery action against either one of them or jointly against both of them okay so if there is a default by a debtor then the creditor can initiate recovery action against the guarantor first so it is not that first he has to proceed against the debtor and then only after he has made some recovery from there then only he can proceed against the guarantor so he can proceed against the guarantor first he can proceed against the debtor first and then against the creditor or jointly also we have seen that in most of the cases in uh, when we file uh, original application in drt so then that is we make both of them as parties okay so this that is jointly we file that application for recovery against them and uh, can be invoked even prior to resorting to the corporate debtor so as i said that if there is a default against any one of them you can against guarantor also you can proceed first then definition which is there under section 522 of ibc an individual who is the surety in a contract of guarantee to the corporate debtor so that is he is a personal guarantor so this is section 522 so these are some important terms relating to these process these two processes insolvency resolution and uh, guarantee uh, insolvency resolution and bankruptcy excluded asset 
so as i told you that now we ensure uh, most worldwide normally some assets are still allowed to be retained by the debtor and these assets are here in our uh, ibc section 79 subsection 14 so the excluded assets are defined there this excluded assets include one unencumbered tools books vehicles and other equipments as are necessary to the debtor or bankrupt for his personal use or for the purpose of his employment business or vocation so these type of assets like his personal tools and all these assets should be unencumbered agar aapne inme se kuch bhi banks ko mortgage kiya hai ya creditor ko mortgage kiya hai then they will not be falling within the definition of excluded assets okay so excluded assets are assets which are allowed to be retained by the debtor during the bankruptcy process friends we will all agree that we had a very learned speaker today in shri nilesh sharma ji he has taken us through all the provisions of personal insolvency and he has also explained the judicial pronouncements in very simple language at the end of the lecture today we all stand enlightened because of the efforts of uh, our learned speaker nilesh sharma i propose a hearty word of thanks for him and i request all of you to carry it by a loud applause Uh, also a very hearty vote of thanks to our moderator madam rekha shah thank you so much